your Bibles as we continue in the book. And I haven't forgotten Titus. We'll get to Titus pretty soon. Would you give me some water, please? Uh, we'll be one more Sunday in uh, Hebrews because I want to preach this next verse that comes up. Um, uh, what Charles dealt with this morning, really, uh, in part, verses 5 and 6. But we'll start reading in verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 13. If you'd please stand for the reading of God's Word this morning. <coughs> Let's hear the Word of the Lord. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also were in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Please be seated. Let's go to prayer. Pray for me and pray for yourselves as you sit on the proclamation of God's word this morning. Let's pray. Almighty God, your word is a light to our feet, a lamp, O oh God, to point out the way for us to live in the way of salvation. I do ask you to be with me as I preach this text this morning. Be with your congregation. Lord, apply your word to us. We ask for the help of your spirit. And pray that we would not be dull hearers, but we would be active listeners and that you would apply it so that we may grow in grace. In Christ's name, amen. As noted last week, the writer to the Hebrews is wrapping up his uh, letter. And as he comes to chapter 13, he gives them several things to work on, several things they are to do uh, to help keep before them their responsibilities as Christians. We have responsibilities as Christians, covenantal responsibilities. And he lays some of those out here in the opening of this chapter. And again, the central focus of the book of Hebrews is Christ is our great high priest. Uh, not one uh, who is a image of one to come, but the one who indeed was pictured as the one to come. The one who is the, the living one that makes intercession for us. And we have this great verse, uh, a few verses over in chapter 4 of uh, this book uh, that uh, should be so encouraging to us. Uh, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we have not a high priest who cannot sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but one who is tempted in all ways as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Uh, That's who our God is. And so that's what the writer would have them to remember, to cling to, uh, the reality of uh, the, the gospel and the responsibilities that we have. Because as we focus on what God would have us to do, it brings God to mind. As we focus on responsibilities that we have as Christians, it brings Christ to mind. So that's what the writer is doing here. It's like a, a boxer who is training for a boxing match. And in order to do so, that's what has to be on his mind. Uh, throughout uh, the day, throughout the night. He's training. He's getting in shape. So when he gets in the ring, he hopefully will be successful. When we bring these things before us, here are our responsibilities as Christians. We are to love one another. Uh, we are to practice hospitality. Uh, 
we are to seek to uh, do things that are helpful, uh, to visit those, remember those who are in prison, and then the relationship of the marriage bed and so forth. So here are things that we have responsibilities to exercise, things we are called to do in this text, and it is only as we have a commitment to Christ that we can do so. And so again, uh, the um, proposition briefly, covenant privileges bring covenant responsibilities. Last week we saw the responsibility that we have to love one another. Uh, and there were three reasons for that. In the first place, love is commanded. We are commanded to love one another. Uh, the second thing it is the benchmark of the church. They will know we are Christians by the way that we love one another. The third thing is we are exhorted to love one another because Christ has loved us. And every one of these exhortations that follows this comes out of or falls under the umbrella of loving. Uh, if you are going to entertain strangers, it is because out of love for them. If you're going to care about people in prison, it's out of love for them. Uh, if you're going to have the, a marriage that is pleasing to God, it is out of love that that is done. So all of these fall out of under the, the, uh, the head of loving one another. Well, the first thing, then, is we show love by practicing hospitality. Hospitality was essential back in the first century. You remember what's going on in the lives of these people uh, some of them have lost their homes. Some of them don't have any way to make a living, anything they can do because of the persecution that is coming against them. If you read the book of Acts, you remember that they were holding everything in common so that uh, what we have or what they possessed, uh, they saw it as a means of helping those who were in need. If I may read from Acts chapter 2, verse 44, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Again, they considered themselves bound to meet the needs of others. We don't live in much of a needy society. Not much. We have a few people that end up having to have some help, have needs. But by and large, uh, we, uh, we pretty well uh, get along. But we are still... Um, to practice hospitality, and we have opportunities to do so. We live in a city that has one of the biggest uh, uh, cancer hospitals in the world, one of the best cancer hospitals in the world. We have people that come here often for treatment. And what a great way to practice hospitality to get to know those people. We have a great opportunity. We're so close to the medical center. Uh, to be able to help people and get to know people and get to love people that are here. I can't think of many things that would be more frightening than for you to have a test and the doctor to come back and say your test are positive, you have cancer. I remember when Clay Nichols was, was um, diagnosed with it, he called me and told me that he was diagnosed positive for liver cancer. Well, what do people need at that point? Well, they need encouragement. They need to be loved on. Uh, they need to be prayed for. Uh, it is uh, that you see them and help see them through it and by loving on them and by seeking to help uh, take care of their needs. We are to do them good. Galatians 6, 9, and 10, and let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, do good to everyone, but especially those of the household of faith. Um, 
And again, in the first century, it was essential to practice hospitality uh, because they were commanded to do so and because practically there were needs that had to be met because they were simply suffering persecution, lost the things they had. Hard times can put people in a position of desperate need. These people were facing very, very difficult times. And it's the church's responsibility, it was the believer's responsibility to see to it that whatever needs they had were being met. Well, obviously, some uh, of the Hebrews were not practicing hospitality. He says, don't forget, do not neglect to show hospitality. Why were they failing to do so? Well, perhaps their house was messy. And they just couldn't have people in because the house was just too messy to have people over. I don't get that one. I just don't get it. I've never seen anybody's house that messy. So that's one thing that people think, well, I just can't, I just can't do it because my house is wrecked. Or maybe I just don't want to be bothered. You know, to have people over, it takes effort and you have to have your own conversations. You have people over that are sick, you got to get care about them. And some people just don't want to do that. Or maybe they were afraid in the first century. These people lost what they had because they were committed to Christ. Rather than deny the faith, they suffered loss. And maybe these people who are being instructed here not to neglect to show hospitality are afraid if they do show hospitality. If they take these people in that have lost everything, they also are going to suffer as well. Because they befriended someone who was a Christian. And it's just like in World War II, people that took Jews in to protect them, to house them. But if they were caught, oh, they suffered as well. They would pay the price for sheltering and showing hospitality to those who were in need of it. Well, Christian hospitality is a matter of loyalty to Christ and loyalty to our calling. Uh, being hospitable is being biblical. Being hospitable is being biblical. Being biblical is being pleasing to God. And he goes to this illustration where he says, Some have entertained angels unaware. Well, you know, he's talking about well, not only Abraham, but also Lot, who was visited by the angels in Sodom. But Lot, Abraham is sitting there, and these three men come up. And it's interesting, as you read the text, somehow and in some way, Abraham knew these guys were special. Because he bows down before them. It's very interesting. And one of them, it turns out, was the pre-incarnate Christ. How do we know? Because Abraham prays to him. He has an exchange with him. And he speaks in the first person. Will you destroy the nation if there are 50 people? Right, I will not do so. Will you destroy it if there are 40? And I will not do it if there are 40. And he goes on down. That's where that great verse, will not the judge of all the earth do right. That's where Abraham, that's what he calls him there. He refers to him, will not the judge of all the earth do what is right. And indeed, what a great verse that is for us as we go through difficulties in our life. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? It is certainly rhetorical because, yes, the judge of all the earth always does what is right. Now, it is unlikely that we are going to have angels come to our home. It's kind of unlikely. But we have opportunities to help people and take them in. 
and we are called upon to do that. And it's not always easy. Uh, it's not always something that uh, is pleasant per se, but it's something that we have responsibility to do. And we are called upon the Lord to do that, to practice hospitality. And just having people over, and what a great way to get to know somebody. Uh, fellowship meals were a central part of the early church. Uh, and what a great time to be together, to share a meal together. That's practicing hospitality. It's easy, right? Open up a bag of bread and get some mayonnaise and make some sandwiches. That's how I would do it. My wife doesn't do it like that. She spends lots of time. Get everything just so. And I said, look, let's just buy some bread and get some mayonnaise and some bread on the table and meat. It'll be, it'll, it'll be fine. Most everybody likes sandwiches, right? But, no, she, she doesn't approach it like that. I, I guess there's something wrong with one of us. I'm not sure. Well, the second thing is that we, not simply are we to practice hospitality and show love in practicing hospitality, uh, opening up our homes to those in need, giving meals and so forth, but we are to show it by remembering those who are in prison are being mistreated. Uh, Chuck Colson, who uh, developed the prison ministry, developed it because he went to prison. Uh, he was involved with uh, President Nixon, and some of those guys ended up going to jail. And Colson was, I think he was a believer before that happened, but uh, he started this uh, prison ministry. And uh, there are Christians in jail. There are Christians in prison. Uh, some people become Christians while they are in prison. Many of you know I used to go up to visit men on death row, and two of those guys that I visited were Christians. They have been converted. And um, one of them I visited with for two years before he was finally executed. And one guy I visited uh, showed absolutely no remorse whatsoever. He was not sorry for what he had done. As a matter of fact, he said this to me. Josiah have rejected all ideas of the existence of God. I can look at myself in the mirror and not be ashamed. He did not understand the gospel. I'll tell you who he was. He murdered uh, the wife of the manager of ZZ Top, one of our Texas bands, you know, ZZ Top. He murdered their manager's wife for her red Cadillac and uh, rode all over the country, went up to Colorado, different places with it, and finally got caught. He's the one I visited with, and I did so because he had been up to Camp Penile, and um, the glasses, Gina Silver Glass, who used to be in the church and gone on to glory, knew him. But the other two guys that I visited with, we would sit and we studied knowing God together. We would read the scriptures together. And so there are people who are in prison who have broken the law, but nonetheless, they are Christians. And we can fellowship with them, and they need to have a fellowship with us as they have come to repentance. But here, in this case, it seems like those who are in prison are those who are in prison simply because they are believers. Um, he says, uh, be, remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. So you've got people that are in jail because of being committed to Christ and serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And he wants them to remember them. Well, how do they do that? Do they simply think fondly of them? Uh, think uh, as... Uh, uh, pleasant thoughts about them. It's, it's much more practical than that. 
that as they are able to be involved in their lives, as they are able to give assistance to them and to help them. They are to remember those who are in prison and those who are mistreated for the cause of the gospel. In our Sunday school lesson this morning, um, the Apostle Paul, uh, is uh, he leaves Malta and he goes to an area where there are Christians. And they somehow know that Paul is coming and talks about Paul seeing them. You know, Paul's a prisoner, remember? And it talks about how he was encouraged by seeing these believers. Well, people who are mistreated, people who are in need can be encouraged by our presence and by our visiting with them and by our being with them. The last thing is the Christian's responsibility to practice sexual propriety and love is shown in that. He says in the first place, marriage is to be held in honor among all people. Oh, what is going on here? He deals with a couple of problems in the early church. The first thing is asceticism uh, had worked its way into the church, and there were people who advocated extreme asceticism, strict self-denial. And it was a measure of personal spiritual holiness. Listen to what 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 5 says. Now the Spirit expressly says, In the latter time some will depart from the faith by devouring them, I'm sorry, by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons through the insincerity of liars whose conscience are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God has created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. So they are forbidding marriage. And why is that? Well, again, because of a certain view that marriage was really improper. In the post-apostolic years, uh, there was a point in history when the virginity was looked at as being very, very spiritual. And so the monastic movement started, and people shut themselves away. Well, that's an improper view of marriage. So what the writer here was saying, let marriage be held in high regard by everyone. Why? Marriage came by chance, right? Who performed the first marriage? God did. Uh, marriage is to be held in honor among all because God is the one who is behind it. It was given for the good of man. It was created before the fall, not after the fall. Uh, and it is for the good of man. And men and women are suitable for one another. Marriage is to be between one man and one woman. One man and one woman. Let marriage be held in high esteem by all. So that not to think that there is something inferior about someone who is married. And where these thoughts came from, I do not know, but that is a part of the history of the church in the first century. But there is another problem. Sexual expressions are to be congruent with biblical teaching. Sexual expressions are to be congruent with biblical teaching. Now, what does that mean? Well, God has given us guidelines for sexual expression. He mentions two things here. Um, uh, marriage bed to be undefiled. God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. The sexually immoral is fornication. Those who have relations apart from being married. God doesn't like that. God does not approve of that. 
We have natural urges that God gives to us, but they are to be expressed in the way that he has designed. So the first thing he forbids here is that of the sexually immoral, what would be fornication. The second thing is adultery. That is forbidden by this as well. And it's interesting, he says here that he will judge the adulterer. How? How would God judge the adulterer? You remember in Romans chapter 1, where it says God gave them over to do those things that shouldn't be done. He can do the same thing in that. If you want to live that way, he'll let you know, let you loose, and let you do that. And then mess up your marriage and mess up your life. Uh, so it says God will judge the adulterer. He was also judged the sexually immoral. So sexuality is a great gift that God has given to us that is to be enjoyed within the confines of marriage and not apart from that. And uh, it is that we are um, to love our wives as Christ loved the church and the wife is to love and respect the husband and be submissive to him. There's the guidelines for us that Paul gives to us in the book of Ephesians. But what about love killers? What do I mean about love killers? Things that can destroy people's love for one another. I remember Jeff Thomas was speaking at a, at a conference. And he talked about these marriage seminars and how people go to these marriage seminars to try to help their marriage. Jeff Thomas says a simple matter is they don't love one another anymore. Because they have fallen out of love. What are some marriage killers that we would have to be aware of and look out for? Well, uh, one thing, if, if you have a volatile temper and you unleash that temper on your spouse, uh, that's, uh, it's hurtful. It's hurtful to the marriage, it's hurtful to the relationship. And, uh, when, People are, mar- are angry. They're brutish to me. And people go, that, the people just go nuts. They get so mad. They're brutish when they get that angry. And they'll say things that are hurtful. They'll say things that they should not have said. Uh, and when you have two people that have tempers that are married together, that is a recipe for disaster. So what do we do then? For all of these things, every one of these, uh, practicing hospitality, Remembering those who are suffering for the sake of the gospel primarily. And then holding the marriage in high esteem and the marriage bed being undefiled. It is through love that all of these are accomplished. It's very interesting that all falls under this. Let brotherly love continue. Love one another as those who are in Christ who know what God requires of us. And who know how we are to love according to the scriptures, the instruction that God has given to us. So how do we do all of these things? How do we accomplish them? Well, for one thing, we consider others as more important than ourselves. There's that verse again. Consider others more important than yourself. We put others first. We don't always have to be comfortable. You know, it's sharing the gospel. Uh, Are we willing to get out of our comfort zone for the cause of the gospel? 
uh, to minister to others that uh, we don't know so well, to minister to others who might not be Christians is an opportunity to evangelize. And it is all done out of love for first Christ and then others. But the good news uh, is this. You know, Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew, if you look at a woman lustfully, you have committed adultery. If you hate your brother, you have committed murder. And so we recognize we're all lawbreakers. We're all lawbreakers. We cannot keep the law as God demands. And again, it's a matter of the heart, not simply the matter of outward doing. It's a matter of the heart. But the great news is that we have Christ who kept the law for us, who did what we could not do, what we could never do in keeping the law. He did that for us. And so that when we look at these things and we recognize that we have not been hospitable as we should, we've not wanted to bother with people, where we have not been concerned about those who are suffering really like we should, we have not been as committed to the marriage as we should, we've not been as kind, not been as long-suffering as we should be, uh, that we come under this conviction that we have this great hope that is ours in Christ. Now, we don't say, well, that's just how I am. I just can't be hospitable. No, you work on You do these things, especially marriage. If you're married, listen, 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 listen. Good marriages don't just happen. They don't just happen. you got two sinners living together. At times, both of them are selfish and self-centered. They don't just happen. Now, I agree, some people are more difficult to live with than others. I'm very easy to live with. I'm just a fun guy. No, I have my mom. I'm, I'm weird. I mean, I have so many, uh, what do you call it, idiosyncrasies. Look, just leave me. I have, uh, we all have things that uh, can irritate other people. But we overlook those because we love one another. And we realize the husband you have, the wife you have, is there by God's design. He gave you one another. And he doesn't make mistakes. God does not make mistakes. The woman the Lord gave me, yes, he had it right at that point. The woman you gave to me, yes, he did. He did indeed. And he does so in order that we might have a life together of joy and happiness in Christ. That's why. God wants you to be happy in your marriage, not miserable. He wants you to be happy. How do we do that? We abide by the dictates of Scripture. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this.